This morning we're going to turn in the Word of God to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. And we're going to read beginning at verse 12 and read through verse 22. Psalm 25 and verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. And his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me. For I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain. And forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many. And they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. May the Lord bless his hearts for the sake of the Lord Jesus and allow us to have ears to hear. This morning we're taking as our text that 14th verse. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. He will show them his covenant. This morning I want us to think for a few moments on what I am entitling the secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord. Before we go any further though, let's just ask the Lord to take his word and to bring it to us and help us to hear. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. It is your word. It is that which you have set before your people. To draw them to yourself to lead them away from themselves, to open the heart, to quicken the mind, to fan faith, to cause us to understand the way in which we should go. Lord, we pray that you will now use your word. We pray that you will guide and direct all thoughts here today and that you would be that one to minister to us yourself. Lord, speak to us that we might be like those who walked with thee on the Emmaus road, that our understanding would be opened and our hearts might burn with love for the truth and the things that speak of the success of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will bless now this time. Help me as I serve and I plead. Give the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. 
and he will show them his covenant. Now the statement of David that we see in our text is in itself a bit of a secret. For the meaning of the statement does not immediately lie on the surface. There's a little bit of mining that needs to be done in order for us to see what is being said and how that relates to us. And I will be as plain as I can. The key to understanding the message of the Lord to our hearts lies in our understanding the meaning of the word secret. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Now it is quite true that that word could also be in our minds as we think about the word secret as an equivalent word, mystery. A secret is something that one person knows, but it is not known to another until it is told. That's how we commonly think of this word. Some would plainly say that this is true of spiritual matters. Maybe that's what the Lord is saying here. That the mystery of God or the things that speak of spiritual things are secret before the eyes of natural fallen man until God shows them. John Calvin, in thinking on this thought, offers a warning at this point. He says in his commentary that many, and I paraphrase him, this is not a quote, many boast to have an interest in the covenant truths of God. They can offer comments on the nature of Bible interpretation, many doctrines, but have had no meeting with God. The thought here is that the mystery or the secret is not that which men can say, oh, I understand that doctrine, or I understand this Bible interpretation, but you've never had it applied to your heart. You never have gone on with the Lord. That's not the Lord making secret. Now, I will say to be sure there is an element in which the word secret can be taken to include those spiritual truths that only the heart of the faithful can know. However true that may be, the closer meaning to the word that we have here, or the words that we have here, is this. And so I offer this as a question of how perhaps this might be better read. The secret of God is the personal and abiding friendship of the Lord. And that friendship is with his people that fear him and brings him to show them all the ways in which his redemptive covenant works for them. You say, that was a mouthful. Yeah, it was. But really it's this. Those that fear God, find God in such a relationship, such a friendship with them, that he carefully, plainly, helpfully shows them all the aspects of the redemptive covenant so that they find themselves Strengthened, guarded, whatever else you want to say, David suggests in the verses that we just read. The point is that those who truly are trusting in the Lord Jesus and do mind his commandments will find that he comes to them 
And there is such a fellowship that brings much help, good, and blessing to the heart of the saint. In fact, that's what he speaks of when he says in John chapter 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Oh, here's the point. Child of God, you have a Savior, you have a God who does not stand apart from those that he calls friends. He comes, and there are gifts of grace in his hands. You say, friends? Oh, yes, didn't the Lord Jesus say that of those that would believe on him? John 15, verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. Note this. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. There's the point. The Lord Jesus has a relationship with those that are trusting in him to that place where he calls us friends. And as our friend, and as we being his friend, he makes known to us all the mind and the ways of the Father, particularly when it comes to salvation. And so I say, here's the center of it. Here's the blessing of it. The Lord our God comes to hold counsel with the heart of that man that fears and trusts in him. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth. The man whose heart is given to the Lord and loves his will and ways will know just how those ways come to work in his life. The Lord will show you the covenant and how that works for you. He will that man will know what it means to walk with God. That's the point. There is an abiding good. There is an uplifting of the heart. Christ comes to his own. The shepherd is discerned among the sheep. They hear his voice. They follow him. There is the understanding of his good to them, which brings them to lie down in green pastures and drink from the still waters. So I want us to think about this. The Lord Jesus comes as friend and reveals to us all the things that the Father has spoken about redemption and the covenant of God. And so I say this to us. We take this as our subject. We have an expectation of the fellowship with Christ. It is an expectation which cannot be taken away and it is an expectation which most certainly will do us good. So I want us to think about this this morning and I want us to look at the different ways in which the secret is applied. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. First, I want you to see this with me. Here is a truth. Here is a truth. That truth is this. The Lord abides among his people. And he shows them his redemptive truth. I suggest to you this has been the case ever from the first. The Lord came to Adam. But Adam sinned, didn't he? Why would the, ah, the Lord came to Adam even though he sinned. And spoke to him of his redemptive truth. The Lord clothed Adam. Showing him in the death of those animals that were taken to make those clothes. 
the need for the shedding of blood. The Lord also walked with Enoch. The Lord walked with Noah. The Lord revealed himself to these men. The Lord revealed himself to Moses. You say, where was that? Well, in a burning bush. And how many other times? We read of the Lord speaking uh, to David here. The Lord was visibly visiting his people Israel for the space of 40 years continually. How long was the fiery pillar and the cloudy pillar before the eyes of Israel? Scripture speaks of the Lord coming to Abraham. In fact, there's a very interesting statement that's made in Genesis chapter 18 about the Lord's friendship with Abraham and the need for Abraham to know what God would do. It says in Genesis 18 verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? From the very first, God meets with those that are friends. Not friends that they choose, but that he has made them friends by grace. And so I suggest to you this, that the truth is that the Lord comes to his people and he comes not using hidden or mysterious things, though we read of a secret here. He makes himself and his mind known to those that are his friends indeed. But the secret is that which the Lord offers in fellowship with those that trust in him. This secret is not known to the world. What the Lord reveals to the heart of those that know him is not something that's revealed to the word that's why we have the word secret being used here so let's even be a little more pointed what is it that the lord speaks of when he visits we said well it's his redemptive truth i want to be more specific here what does the lord speak or how does he speak or to where does he speak when he comes and visits us i want you to see first he speaks to the heart. Now, I want you to hear me. I use this term advisedly. Frankly, I didn't know how else to put it. The Lord speaks to the heart. And I will say that the point here needs to be put in a perspective, lest we get more importance than it ought to have. The Lord does speak to the hearts of his people. There is certainly the ministry of the Holy Spirit that comforts and convicts as the Lord Jesus promised when he said he would not leave us comfortless. The Lord does speak to the heart. There are times when the Lord allows us by his mercies and graces to be moved with gratitude or love. There are times when the light of conviction is brought to bear. But I'm going to put a label on this sort of speaking. And I want you to think with me. Just try to follow me on this point. Because it's very, under, very important that you understand where we're going here. I'm going to put a label on this sort of speaking to our hearts. Not to diminish it. But to, as I said, offer a perspective. And I will call this sort of speaking to the heart subjective. That the Lord sometimes allows there to be a speaking to the heart, but it is a subjective thing. And again, by subjective, I mean that it is a moment in which the Lord comes close, and the heart knows that the Lord is at hand. The ears begin to listen for the voice of God. And to use an illustration of what I'm trying to say, if you will remember back in the book of 1 Samuel, 
the Lord spoke to Samuel. Now when the Lord spoke to Samuel, Samuel knew the Lord's voice, though not at first. He had to be helped with by Eli. But he knew it was the Lord's voice. Now here's the distinction. He knew the Lord's voice, but he did not yet hear the Lord's message. That would come. The Lord sometimes speaks to the heart that is undeniable. But I want you to see more to this. That when God speaks primarily... In fact, you could probably even take what I'm going to say and come back to this point and redefine what I just said. The Lord not only speaks to the heart, and he speaks to the heart and the head. Now, that's my second heading, and again, I didn't know quite how to say that, but I will try to explain what I mean by this. And I say, here's more of the center of it. Think with me. The previous thought that I just mentioned to you, the subjective element of the Lord's revelation, if it's left to itself, if that's all that men ever know is that the subjective speaking to the heart, so to speak, if left to itself, it would tend to excite the emotions and set men chasing after whatever impressions their imaginations can come up with. See, all that doesn't happen. Oh, yes, it does. It happens almost all the time. When you have subjective revealings of God to the heart, men come up with odd things. I want you to understand the Lord never speaks mysteriously. He speaks plainly. His secret is the fullness of his covenant redemption. Here it is. His secret is the fullness of covenant redemption. And we see that at the end of this verse. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So, let me back up. What am I saying? What am I saying? I'm saying this. The Lord then comes to those that are his friends, and he speaks about the work that has been done through the Lord Jesus, and then applies that work to my heart and my need. May I put it to you this way? When the Lord speaks, he reveals of the gospel. The power it has with him, and he speaks of the power that it has in our hearts. Here is not subjective understanding, but rather objective understanding. It is unchanging. It is rock-solid truth that helps me in the hour of my need. You say, well, can you be a little more clear? This is, this is pretty deep here. Subjective, objective. One is your impression. The other is just rock solid, plain truth about what the Lord Jesus has done and accomplished. You see it in the word. Let me say this. Put it this way. I'm going to ask you a question. What need do you have? Imagine one. Just imagine one that you have in your own heart. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions about that in the light of what I'm trying to say here. If you can take your need and bring it before your eyes and then ask yourself this question. If the Lord came to your heart and through the Spirit and the Word spoke to you, 
telling you of the perfection and finality of your being made righteous in his eyes by the work of Christ, would you think you would have a reason to rest knowing God is for you? Did you catch that? If you could take your need and apply the fact that God has made you righteous in his sight, that he is now for you because of Jesus Christ, does that allow you to have rest in the light of that need that you may be even imagining right now? You're righteous before God. Why will he not hear? Why will he not uphold? Why will he not undertake? Let's ask another question. If you are convinced again by the objective truth of the scripture being applied to your heart by the Spirit of God that your sins had been taken out of the way and nailed to the cross so that there's not one single reason for God not to help you and bless you, would that strengthen you? Uh, you say, this is, this is getting hard for me. No, let me, I'm just trying to be as simple as I can. If you knew there was no reason why God would not step into your case and help you with the need that you may be imagining right now, there, the, your sins are gone. There's no block between you and the hand of God coming to you. Would that not strengthen you? I say, that is what the Lord comes and speaks to your heart about. That you are now righteous because of Christ. Your sins have been taken out of the way because of Christ. Let me ask you another question. If you knew the Lord speaking to you that he is in heaven pleading for you, would that give more assurance in the place of prayer? These things that I'm asking are all elements of the objective truth of Christ's final redemptive work. He bought all of these things. These things are now ours They're not based on our feelings. They're not based on our deeds. They're not based on our understanding. They don't really have anything to do with us. Salvation is of the Lord. It's all God's work, and he's pointing you to his work. Now take your need. Do those things then make you see your need differently? Rather than just saying, I feel better about this. I, I, you know, I, I have this need, but now I, you know, I, I'm going to interpret this scripture. I, taking it out of context, probably, but it doesn't matter because that makes me feel better. Let me tell you, the world is filled with people doing that sort of th- thing. That's not the secret of God. That is not the friend counsel, if you will. I, I don't know how else to say this. The counsel of the dear friend, when he comes to your heart and whispers to your heart he is dealing with objective rock solid truth George Horn makes the statement the man who looks only well and I I paraphrase him as well the man who looks only at the subjective focuses all his attention on his feelings which fly away like clouds whereas the man who rests on the objective revelation of God is heeding the call to faith Great happiness is to know the fixed counsel of God. John Calvin makes a comment, and again I paraphrase him as well. That man who so fears God will be the man of a humble heart. Such hearts fear to trust in their own understanding. 
but seek to have fresh application of the objective truths of God to their situation. May I put it to you this way? When you go to God and you pray over a situation, it might do you well to say, Lord, show me how the objective truth of Christ's work changes all this for me. Changes my heart, allows me to rest, allows me to be in the green pasture and beside the still waters. I'm going to say, this this may sound somewhat backwards to a lot of people, but I believe this is firmly what's being said here. By way of application of this point, I say this, your help is not in God stepping into your circumstance. Though he does frequently use in answer to prayer in Jesus' name. Your help is not in God stepping into your circumstance, but by God laying your circumstance before you in the light of the work of Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Lord oftentimes helps you, child of God, by taking that circumstance, that need, that perhaps that you even imagined this morning. He takes that and he lays that in the light of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, you get to see my answer to this situation is in my God having done all things to make me his own. He will not abandon me. He will do those things that he has promised to Christ. He will present me a bride before the Lord Jesus without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. All things that concern me are going to be his undertaking. He that spared not his own son but gave him up, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is the Lord's work. So I say, here's the truth. The secret of the Lord is that gospel redemptive message that concerns the Lord Jesus that the Spirit of God will take and apply to your heart in the hour of your need to cause you to be one who can rest. David was saying it in the, about all the troubles that were becoming his because of his enemies. Terrible enemies. He says, I can rest because the secret of the Lord is mine. The friendship of God is mine. He will speak to me concerning those things that show me objective truth. So I say, here is a truth. I will also suggest in these words that here is a treasure. This is a sweet promise. These are wonderful words. This that we're talking about this morning is dear and precious to those that know the Lord. It is a treasure that is revealed. But it is not a treasure that was at one point hidden away. When the Lord reveals the treasure, it is given. Well, I don't see a treasure. What are you talking about? Let me say this. Mr. Spurgeon makes the comment. Here I do quote him. In his looking at this verse and the the thought that we're talking about here today, he says this. He who does not know the meaning of this verse will never learn it from a commentary. Let him look to the cross, for the secret lies there. Child of God, you'll know the ministry of your God in this way when you get your eyes upon the Lord Jesus and you get your eyes upon what he has done and you consider him who bore such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your mind. Paul says in the book of Hebrews. 
Thomas Goodwin, and I I paraphrase him, he says this, the gospel is a hidden mystery to the world. They cannot take it in. But when the gospel comes to the heart of a believer by faith, it is life itself. All is well, for Christ died, rose, and is before the throne. And then Goodwin offers a a little bit of an illustration of what he's trying to say. He says, you think about this, the redemptive truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Christ has done, and how it strikes the heart of a believer versus a man in the world. He uses this illustration. He says, a child and a jeweler may look at the same exquisite pearl and call it by the same name. But only one knows the worth. Oh, there's the difference between the world and the believer. You know, we may call this the Bible. We may call it the Word of God. We may identify doctrines. We may call things by the same name. But only the man who is in Jesus Christ will know of what we're talking about. So I say, here it is. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, speaks about the Lord Jesus as was said he would. That message of the gospel, once again whispered to the heart of the saint in need, is as a balm of Gilead. And I will say this very plainly to you, child of God, understand this. When you are in a time of real need, there is nothing that will solve your heart need or calm your fears or cause you to be able to rest as the objective truth of what Jesus Christ has done. It is all comfort. It is the undergirding of the everlasting arms. And I say this continued ministry of our God, the speaking of the covenant redemptive work of Christ, is a treasure. It is a well springing up unto rest. I would suggest to you this is the meaning of those verses in Isaiah chapter 12, which, by the way, if you have gotten all your memory verses done and you want something else to memorize, Isaiah chapter 12 is a wonderful, short, six-verse chapter. But it says there, Isaiah 12 and 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the well. Here's the point. When you understand your relationship to the Lord your God as Savior, when you look at that which the Lord Jesus has done for you, then you're one who is able to water out of the wells of salvation with joy. Your joy and strength is the Lord speaking to you about how you are right with Him. And that all the things that flow to you because of His making things right are without end. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them. Oh, there it is. He will show them His covenant. Or, you might even say it this way. It was, I have one man who wrote it this way. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and His covenant He will make them to know. He will tell you of it. He will disclose the secret, if you will, that close, personal word about your saving interest in Jesus Christ. 
Last thought. Here's a truth. Here's a treasure. Here's a testimony. Matthew Henry makes a statement. This statement is a statement of testimony by the saint. There is and will be not just one to whom this applies, but to all saints. This is a common experience. But two, there will be the honor of expressing that covenant mercy that the Lord has brought. There's a testimony. There's a, something that you can say. How do I have a word that the, word, the world will know as a word of power? Well, we give testimony of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? Does anybody know Romans 1 and 16? Do you know what he says there? And the subject that he's dealing with there? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not ashamed. This is what I like to speak. I'm, I don't have anything else to tell you. In fact, he tells the Corinthians, I don't have anything else to, to say to you except Christ and him crucified. That's my message. I don't have anything else. Why? Because there's no power in anything else. All the various things that you might take as subjective truths, they're not, that doesn't have the power of God. The power of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only to the unsaved man to get him saved, so to speak, but also to the saved the need. hymn writer wrote sing them over again to me no don't not just the world no sing them over again to me wonderful words of life yes tell me the story of Jesus now that was a request by a saint write on my heart every word yes you and I need to hear this because it works in us, but it is also that then which helps us to have a testimony before the world. <laughs> Me? <laughs> what? Me? A testimony? Uh, step back, believer. I ask you this Has the Lord shown you Jesus? Has he shown you the forgiveness of sins? If you are a believer indeed, you will say only, yes. He's shown me Jesus. He's shown me the forgiveness of sins. He showed me what I was before I was saved. I didn't like looking at that. That was a miserable time. <laughs> it was a profitable time, but it was miserable. He showed me that I have a Savior who is powerful over death. He showed me that I have one who sits at the right hand of God with me written on his heart and pleads with all the fervency of one deeply in love with his saint. He's shown me that he said, yes, he's shown you. Have you not seen, child of God, are you sitting here this morning and can you look, me, look at me and say, I, I haven't known that. Well, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have known that and you do have something to say. You do. You may not know what to say to sinners. Well, you, have, you, know, you can say that much, can't you? We might also ask this. If the Lord spoke to our hearts and showed us all this and brought us to himself and convinced us of our sin and, and saved us, will he not continue to speak to us about these things? Well, the answer is yes, he will. 
There's the message of the text. The Lord continues to show us his secret, his covenant redemptive truth that the world does not know, but we know. And he brings that back to me over and again. The rock upon which I stand. You know, the Lord Jesus gave a parable. Has anybody ever heard the parable of the man who built his house on the sand and the other one who built his house on the rock? Has anybody ever heard that? The man who built his house on the sand. What could that be? Well, some people say, well, the Lord was talking about Pharisees, so it must have been he was building his house on the sand of self-righteousness. Well, that's true. Absolutely. But I think there's also an element in which a man would build his house on his own feelings. How he feels about himself. How he feels about his sin. How he feels about God. How he feels about the life in general. How he feels about this. How he, man builds his house on that. What happens to the house that's built on the sand? Okay, you can do it. It falls what? Okay, I knew everybody was just wanting to do that. Yes. Yes. But the man whose house is, is built on the rock, and here's where I'm coming back to, objective rock-solid truth of the Lord Jesus and what he has done. The man who builds his house on the rock, what happens when the storm comes and the waves beat? The house stands firm. There's the point. There's the point. Child of God, do not take your heart seriously. Do not let your feelings be the judge or the scale upon which you feel things to be true or not. God does not primarily speak to you subjectively. There are a couple of things that I would say. Well, yes, if prayer, you have to gauge did the Lord answer prayer. Well, even then, <laughs> you still have to have it in the light of what Christ has done. But it's rather the objective truth, which is your rock. It is the truth that you find in the Lord Jesus that you put your faith in. He speaks. So my last question to you is this, and I just leave you with this thought. Um, the Lord Jesus turned to his disciples one day. that they, they were in an area called Caesarea Philippi. Very interesting place. I'll have to talk to you about that place someday. Caesarea Philippi. He turns to his disciples and says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they started saying, Well, some say you're Elias. Some say that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're that prophet or something. But then the Lord asked this question. But whom say ye that I am? That's what I'm asking you. That's what I put before you. The Lord speaks to your heart, showing you the objective things of Christ. But who do you say that Christ is? Oh, you'll find the peace of God that passes understanding will come to your heart when you find that what you say and what God says are the same. That's the way that we find the peace of God. That's the way we find ourselves being able to rest in the, uh, in the light of distresses as David speaks about. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Well, may the Lord allow us to see that and hear that 
this morning. Amen. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to remain in our hearts and minds. We pray that thou will help us to realize that we are to set ourselves to thinking about who Jesus is and what he has done, what that has won for us, what that means before the throne of God. And may we find our souls resting there, not just simply on how we feel. Lord, I pray that you will now let us walk before thee in the course of this day as those who are truly resting in the Lord Jesus. May we have ears to hear. May we be sheep that follow. May we be those that trust in the Lord completely. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you.